Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I should like to draw your attention to the book of Exodus chapter 32. And would you stand with me as I read God's word this morning? Exodus 32, beginning in verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down, the, down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Aaron said Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood at, in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his, own, of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. 
they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit them, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord set the plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. To the one who walks among the seven lampstands, who walks even among this church, your lampstand, give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Have you read through the whole Bible from beginning to end? If you haven't, you've never read through the whole Bible, let me encourage you to do just that. But let me also encourage you with these words. When you read the Bible from beginning to end, you will encounter difficulties. You will read statements, you will read about events that you will have to wrestle with in your heart. You might read things that you will not immediately understand. But these difficulties that you encounter are good things. They are necessary things. The difficulties will actually be a blessing to you. And here is how you should respond when you read difficult things in the Bible. Praise God whose thoughts are not our thoughts and whose ways are not our ways. And continue to wrestle with them and continue to inquire and ask the Lord to illuminate his word so that you can understand it and even embrace these difficulties. That we might understand who the Lord is, how he works. The difficulties point to the Lord who is above us, orchestrating and in control of everything. Even the difficulties that he has foreordained according to his perfect plan. When we read God's word, we recognize it as God's revelation of himself. We are not reading about who we want God to be or how we think God should act. We are not the ones who define God. God defines himself. And Exodus 32 is a difficult passage. It makes us wrestle in our hearts with who God is, with who man is, and with what it is that man really needs. Remember, this is a watershed event. That is, in this event, we see the problem with all mankind. We see the fall of all those who would rebel against the Lord, but we also see 
the Lord's gracious and saving hand as the rescuer and redeemer, the savior of his people. Exodus 32 does not just talk about the Israelites, it talks about all of us. It speaks to the heart of who we are and what we need. It holds a mirror up for us to look into so that we gain an accurate picture of our sin, of our lost condition, and of what God will do about it. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. What is the sin that we see displayed here in Exodus 32, the sin that these people need to be saved from? It's the sin of idolatry. But there is also another sin. Here's one that we don't talk too much about. It's the sin of apostasy. What is apostasy? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 6, I believe, gives us a good idea of what apostasy is. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Notice what's lacking in these verses. What's lacking is faith and repentance. These people are not people who had faith. These people are not people who had repented of their sin. But they had experienced certain spiritual privileges. So while there is no faith, while there is no repentance, likewise there is no regeneration and no sanctification... The apostate is not one who has lost their salvation. They never had salvation to begin with. But they have been afforded certain advantages, privileges, benefits. And it could even be they liked these benefits. But they did not know the Lord. Here's what John Owen, a Puritan, says of this apostasy. They had supposed, this is quoting now, they had supposed they had arrived at salvation itself, not realizing they have only as yet tasted the good word of God. These truths, they taste with much joy and satisfaction and think that because they have tasted them, they have truly received them and are living in submission to them. But not having really received them, when the heat of persecution arises, they fall away. By this tasting, they may feel many effects of the word on their minds and consciences and experience something of its power on them. This tasting may be accompanied with delight, pleasure, and satisfaction when they hear the word preached. They like to hear, but they do not receive into their hearts what they hear. Herod heard John the Baptist gladly and did many things, but there was only a tasting and no receiving of the word. Crowds also pressed after Christ to hear the word, 
but few actually received it. So it is with many in our day. Close quote. We cannot ignore this sin. We must warn all people of the danger of apostasy. And it is on on full display in Exodus 32. What privileges, what advantages, what enlightenment had these Israelites received? Think of all that they had seen all the way back to the land of Egypt with the plagues. They had seen the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud lead them. They had seen the waters of the Red Sea part and walk through it on dry land. They had seen it close then over their enemies, the Egyptians, and drown them. They had seen bread come from heaven. They had seen bitter water be made sweet. All that they had seen. And yet, only a few months after being brought out of Egypt, they persist in rebellion and disobedience to God and to His Word. So we are those who are to guard ourselves from idolatry and also hear the warning of apostasy that comes with crystal clarity through these verses. So what are we to receive and take in so that we might be changed? Well, I think there are five items on your handout, but we'll only go through two. So as you ration out your space, you only have to ration for two points this morning. The first is this. We are to be confronted with the subversive nature of the human heart. We are to be confronted with the subversive nature of the human heart. So far, Moses has just been told about what was going on down below. He was up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, with Yahweh, with the Lord. But now he begins his descent. He goes from being in the presence of the Lord, and now he starts to come down with these two tablets of stone, these tablets that are called the tablets of testimony. They have the law of God written upon them. In fact, back in Exodus 31, 18, it says they were written on with the very finger of God. He wrote on these front and back, so they must have been very thick stones. They were engraved. They were God's communication with man. And they are bound up with God's sovereignty, with God's power, with God's authority, and with God's love. These were not stones that Moses had engraved. They were supernaturally, divinely engraved by the Lord for the people. And notice there are two stones. These are two copies. One copy for the Lord, one copy for the people. They were visible, physical testaments to the Lord taking initiative to live in relationship with his people. It was the Lord communicating his desire to be with his people, to dwell among his people, to be near his people. A relationship where they would live in complete dependence upon him and trust him and be completely devoted to him and to his holiness. And he would provide for them and lavish his love and his grace and compassion upon them. 
But as Moses came down from the summit of the mountain, there he first met Joshua. Joshua had gone up part way with him. Joshua heard something below in the camp. He was concerned about the noise he heard, for he thought that the noise that he heard was war. Yet Moses sets him straight. It was not the shouting of victory or the shouting of one's strength and might. That's the idea here. That's what Moses says. It's not that they're celebrating their strength and their might as they've just won a battle, nor is it the sound of defeat or the cry of weakness. What is the noise that Moses and Joshua are hearing? It's the sound of singing in their ears. The last time we heard the Israelites singing, they had just been brought through the Red Sea by the Lord. It was a song praising the Lord for what he had done. Now he had fought for them and how he had prevailed. Joshua and Moses now heard singing, but it was not the song of the sea. It was the song of sin. It was the worship of something other than the Lord. Maybe in one sense, Joshua was right. It was the noise of war. A worship war was taking place at the base of the mountain. The Israelites were casting off their relationship with the Lord. They were rebelling against the Lord. They were outright rejecting Yahweh's love for them. And when you reject the love of God, you rightly receive His wrath. And they are openly and blatantly disobeying the Lord. They are trying to subvert the sovereignty of God. And so when Moses saw the calf, when he saw their dancing, his anger burned hot. He experienced the divine anger of God in his heart, a righteous anger towards sin. The same anger we were told Yahweh had in Exodus 32.10. The next action that he takes, we should see as a deliberate action. This is done with intention. Moses, with his burning hot anger, did not act in a rash way. He was not so fed up with the people that he lashed out. This was not spontaneous. This was not an unstable action. This is the action that should have happened. And it is what had to happen because of the sin with which the people had sinned against the Lord. Moses took those two tablets written upon with the very finger of God, the tablets that were called the work of God, and he broke them or smashed them at the base of the mountain. It was a visible manifestation and representation of what the people had done with the covenant that the Lord had so graciously made with them. They had broken the covenant. They had smashed the covenant with their sin. They had broken the validity of the covenant. Look at how they had treated the Lord. Look at what they had done to the Lord's love and the Lord's grace. They treated Him with disdain and contempt. 
They had attempted to take the holy God and make him unholy. They believed they had a better way to live in relationship with him. Moses breaking the tablets was a demonstration to the people of their utter disregard for God's word. Oh, they liked it for a little while. Remember back in Exodus 24-7? This is what Israel said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Pride goes before a fall. Great pride and a great fall. But that heart attitude no longer resided among the people. They committed themselves to leaving the word of God behind and going their own way. Just think about how committed they were to their idol worship. They were wholeheartedly engaged in their idolatry. Moses and Joshua could hear them singing halfway up the mountain. Just because you give your heart to something, just because it looks like you are worshiping with all that you are, does not necessarily mean that you are worshiping the true God. Just because people are singing doesn't necessarily mean that they are singing to the Lord. Like the Israelites, you could be completely devoted to worship without God. And unfortunately, that is what many would like to settle for in our day and age. The heart of the problem, worship was about them, wasn't about God. Then we come to test the calf's sovereignty. So here it is, this golden calf or this golden Young bull has been fashioned by Aaron. How powerful is this golden calf? Well, apparently, he is not even stronger than Moses because he could not stop Moses. Moses came and takes the calf down, literally and figuratively. Moses took the calf that they had made, this mockery of the true God, this God that was made by human hands. This isn't the sovereign God. This is a so-called God that is dependent upon the action of men to make him what he he is. And Moses exposes the idol for what it truly is, helpless and powerless and dead. He takes the idol down, he burns it with fire, then he grounds that into powder. Think about the commitment Moses had to bring down and destroy the idol among the people. This wasn't something that was just done in a matter of minutes. It took Moses time. It says here, literally, he pulverized the idol. And then he took the powder, he sprinkled it on the water, and he made the people drink the water. That's weird. We're not really told why Moses did this, but it gives us a vivid picture to think about. Think through the actions the Israelites were demonstrating as they drank this spoiled water. They didn't want the fresh, pure clean water of the Lord, they 
were really saying they wanted this spoiled, gross, disgusting water. I remember a, a man once told me about his family. He had two sons. One day he brought his sons into the bathroom and he took a cup, drinking cup, and he put that cup on the back of the toilet. And he said to his two sons, anytime you want to look at pornography, anytime you want to do that lewd act, you come in here, you take that cup, and you dip it in the toilet bowl, and you drink some of that water. That's what happens with our sin. We would rather drink the dirty, disgusting water of this world and of our own flesh than drink the pure, clean, living water that we have from Jesus Christ. Come to the waters. Come to the waters of Christ and drink. And we would say, no, 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 no. We want the water that's running through the streets where people throw all of their excrement and dung. The people were made to ingest their sin. And Moses ensured that this idol could never be worshipped again. It was completely and utterly desecrated. So desecrated that it was ingested by the people and would come out in their excrement. Do you know what their idol was worth? What their idolatry was worth? It was worth dung, excrement, nothing. It all points back to the problem of the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Here's the problem. Ultimately, the stone tablets couldn't fix the people's hearts. They couldn't change man's subversive, rebellious, and wicked heart. Only God can change the human heart. In fact, look with me for a moment at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Verses 1 through 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts." Lives that are transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the confirmation of the new covenant. It is the confirmation that you are a new creation. It is meant to be a demonstration to the world that you belong to Christ. We don't need tablets of stone. We need God's law written on our hearts. We need new hearts. We need the hearts of stone removed from our bodies and be given hearts of flesh that work, that love, that are devoted, that are loyal, that live by faith. 
hearts that are changed. So that you love him, so that you live for him, so that you follow him with every fiber of your being, that you will testify to his glory and to his salvation until your dying breath. And it's only through Christ's truth written on your heart that you will truly be able to worship God with all your might as he designed you to do. The second item, though, this morning, we are to be repulsed by the stubborn, the stubborn, nature of idolatry. We are to be repulsed by the stubborn nature of idolatry. The next encounter on Moses' agenda was with his own brother Aaron. This is Aaron we're talking about, the one Yahweh had chosen to be his high priest, the one who later would have been allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and that just once a year to make atonement for sin. The same Aaron who here has promoted and even participated in encouraging this false and disgusting worship. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20, gives us a different perspective about what happened here. It says this, And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I, that's Moses, prayed for Aaron also at the same time. So here now is Moses going to his brother Aaron. And we're told in Deuteronomy 9 that God was so angry with Aaron, he was ready to destroy him. Had not Moses prayed for him. But Moses comes here and he gets to the heart of Aaron's guilt. Aaron is not innocent in this matter. But we see him try to worm his way out of it. Moses brings this accusation against Aaron that he has brought great sin upon the people. These words, great sin, are also used in the Bible for adultery. Their breaking of the covenant was them breaking, in a sense, these marriage vows to the Lord. They were unfaithful to Him. The golden calf was a display of their adulterous relationship, put out there for the whole world to see. Idolatry is adultery before the Lord. It's the different sides of the same coin. But what did Aaron do? Did Aaron cry out for mercy? Did Aaron confess his sin? No, Aaron doubles down on his sin. Seeks to justify it. Well, Moses, let me tell you why I sinned. Like that was going to make it better. Like he was going to reason with Moses and explain why his sin was justified and should be accepted. No, it's cosmic treason against God. But Aaron does what we all are prone to do since the Garden of Eden. We are prone to blame our sins on someone else. Adam said to the Lord, The woman you gave me, she gave me fruit and I ate. Remember that in Genesis? It wasn't my fault, God. It was this woman. But even more, it was you. The woman you gave me. And Aaron does the same thing. Moses You know this, people. They are set on evil. You think it's my fault? The people made me do it. 
Don't be angry with me. Be angry at them. No repentance, no conviction of sin, no crying out for mercy, no contrition for any of what he had done to lead the people away from the Lord. He promoted a lie about Yahweh to the watching world. And he doubled down. Aaron, in his stubbornness, does what stubborn people do. They keep digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole. How do you think about stubbornness? Is being stubborn a respectable sin in your mind? Like you've heard people almost brag about it? Like, well, that's just me. I'm just a stubborn person. You know, like, maybe even right now, like, you, you nudge your husband or wife, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm stubborn. Being stubborn is not respectable. If you are stubborn, repent of your stubbornness. Stubbornness here in unbelief. And Aaron was stubborn, so much so that he was willing to lie to justify idolatry. He told the people to give them his gold, and then he threw that gold in the fire, and then out came this calf, out popped this calf. Moses, I don't know what happened. They just gave me all their gold. I just threw it in the fire, and then poof, miracle of miracles, wonder of wonders, look what happened. You know, Moses, we've seen a lot of supernatural things happen since we've come out of Egypt, and this is just another supernatural thing that happened. I threw in the gold, and out popped this calf. Look at how this calf had created himself. But that's exactly what idols are. They are created things. They are made by the hands of man. We can take even good things, right things, true things, and turn them into idols by elevating them in our own hearts. Idolatry doesn't just happen. It is, eten- it is intentional. It's not miraculous or supernatural or to be celebrated in any way. There is no one else to blame for or, excuse or, or an excuse for your sin. Verse 24, where Aaron doubles down on his lie and his sin, and he says, out pop this calf. It's a little comical, isn't it? It's a little comical because it's so absurd. Aaron, you expect Moses to believe this? You expect Moses to to buy this excuse? It's outrageous. One day, one day, everyone will have to give an account before the Lord for their lives. 
And if you try to excuse and justify your sin, you will sound just as absurd and outrageous to the Lord before whom you stand. Is that what you're going to say when you're supposed to give an account for your life? Out popped this calf, Lord. I don't know how it got here. It's not my fault. Or would you say something like this? I plead the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't have anything. The account of my life Look at Christ. Don't look at me. I'm a sinner saved by grace, by Jesus Christ alone. I have nothing to offer, nothing to give. It's him and it's him alone. It's his blood. That's why I'm forgiven. That's what we plead so that we might not sound absurd like Aaron did when he gave his excuse to Moses. Look at one last verse with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols. So these people were worshiping idols, but what happened? God so worked in their hearts that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus saves people and turns them to himself from idols so that we might serve him and so that we might wait for his son from heaven. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. Jesus, who we will have to hold to on that day when we will have to give an account to him. Let us not have, have subversive hearts or be stubborn in our sin, but let us run to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you would use it in our hearts and lives. We pray that we would not in any way seek to justify our sin, excuse it away, give some ridiculous or outrageous, outrageous reason why, why we did it, why we keep doing it, why we're stuck in it. Father, if there's any of us here today who are thinking that the spoiled water tastes so good, let us repent. Let us come again to the, liver, the rivers of living water. Let us drink afresh of the grace of our Savior and of his goodness and love. Let us not reject that love. Let us know it more and more. And may we then display that love to the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.